Luke 17, verse 1. Quit laughing at me. It's too easy, isn't it, to laugh at me? And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. And it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck, and he were cast into the sea, than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, and in turn, excuse me, and turns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he, drink this, does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you are commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. That word at the end, duty, D-U-T-Y, I have three boys, I must clarify the spelling, is a word that I think as Christians we confuse and, and mess up to, to, to our detriment. When Jesus tells us to do something, there's two ways we can go wrong with it. The first way is seeing it as totally optional. Well, thanks for the offer, but no thanks. I'm not really up for it. I don't feel joy about it. If the Holy Spirit makes me want to do it, I'll do it, but I don't have to do it because I'm saved by grace through faith. And See, in there is a, some truth, but there's also an error. The other side that we mess up this duty, this obedience, this command is, Y'all better try really hard. Jesus says, do it, do it. If you don't do it, I can't even know if you're saved or not because you're not doing what he says, so you better check yourself. And if you're doing a lot and doing it well, well, good for you. Maybe you're saved. You're probably saved. But if you're not doing a lot and you're not doing it well, then you better get doing. Otherwise, you might not be saved. And we've really lost the gospel on both sides of the equation that way. And I hope you understand how. Hopefully you will today. It conflates, confuses, mixes justification and sanctification. Justification, you are saved by grace through faith, not by work so that no one can boast. Your doing will never make you right with God. The gospel is not get your act together and keep your act together and you might be saved. The gospel is God saves by himself, from himself, and for himself. But then those who are saved mature in our faith, sanctification. But we mature in our faith because God causes us to and is glorified through causing us to by his power. And, and Paul explains it really wonderfully in Colossians 1.29. I, I love this, this line. It is a clarifying line. And he says, for this I toil. So he's working hard, struggling with all his energy. Notice the pronoun. For this I, Paul, toil, struggling with all his, Christ's energy, that he powerfully works within me. When God calls us to obey, we must obey because he is God. But we must obey the right way, or we can't obey. And as we obey the right way, he is glorified, and we have joy set before us. And that's what I want to show you in this text. 
So notice what Jesus calls his people to. He says, temptations to sin are sure to come. It's like bait in the box. Temptations are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast in the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He said to his disciples, it's a back and forth, disciples, Pharisees, disciples, Pharisees, from nine forward. And he says to his disciples, he'll clarify to his apostles, listen, temptations to sin are sure to come. But woe to you, that's a scary word, woe to you if you're the one who causes them to come on these little ones, the little ones almost certainly being young believers, new believers, all believers at this time. And he's saying to the Christians, don't you dare cause one of my people to stumble, to sin. Now I want you to catch on the positive side, look at the care, attentiveness, and protection Jesus has for his people. Do we have any children of God here this morning? Do you know that Jesus gazes upon you with eyes of love and care, and he is a jealous God, but he is a God who becomes enraged when people harm you or seek to harm you, and he will not allow your destruction. To, do you feel the comfort in that? Do you see the joy in that? But what he's saying to his people is, don't be like the Pharisees leading people astray. It will be better for you to have a millstone tongue around, tongue or hung around your neck and thrown into the sea than this, and, and that should scare you a little bit. And we need to say, well, well wait a minute. Not scare, concern, wake up, better word. Pay attention to yourselves. Don't do this. So can we ask a question? Jesus is saying his people do not, should not, lead others, especially others of his people, into sin. Who here is plotting deviously to lead someone in this church into sin? Jim, can I tell him about your plot? So, so Jim is about to introduce some wonderful heresy. And he's hoping to get a few of you to, to follow him in this so that he can, he can lead you. Obviously, he knows if you're saved, he can't take your faith away from you. But he can lead you into a pit of despair and despondency. And he's been plotting this for five years. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty wicked, but I just want you to be heads up. Anyone else? I'm making that up for those of you who don't know Jim. He's probably the last person you need to worry about that from. Anyone here plotting against their brothers and sisters in Christ in the church to, to lead them astray? I trust no, correct? Have you ever, like, felt that urge to lead believers astray? What a stupid warning, right? No. What's he talking about? Well, how would we tempt one another? How would we lead one another astray? What is Jesus talking about? Any thoughts? Gossip, slander, uh, failure to think of, pray for, and encourage one another to and in the truth. We had a great Real Conversations Thursday. What about if I, I just get caught up in current events and try to point your hope to the presidential election and the right candidate? I might be tempting you away from trusting and walking in the truth. What if, what if I start gossiping about someone? What if I start bad-mouthing Jim like I'm doing so well this morning? 
and I, I, I cause you to think poorly of Jim this morning. What if I set a bad example? What if I come into church half an hour late as the pastor? I'm like, I'm on an hour, right? You're like, Hoosiers, the movie Hoosiers? What if I just grievously don't pay attention to my walk nor live alongside other people and, and I drift away and I fall into sin as a, as a pastor in a church, as your pastor, what sort of example would that set? How would that lead people astray? And so what Jesus is saying is his people need to be heads up. They need to be paying attention that they are pointing one another, leading people to truth, not away from truth, because see, there's no middle ground. You're either leading someone to Christ or, or helping them drift away from Christ. I had a bad week, hypothetically. I'm Pastor John. I only have good weeks. I had a bad week. People are annoying me. I can't stand being around y'all. I, I, I want a new job. I just I want to kill my dog. I'm just having a bad week. Well, here's bad, bad advice. Tempting. Man, that sounds like a horrible week. And, and you're right. People should treat you nicer. And you need to stand up for yourself and speak up for yourself and not let people walk all over you. Thank you for feeding pride and selfishness and arrogance and causing me to drift away from Christ. Leading me to Christ is, it sounds like it was a hard week. But what do you think God's up to in that week? What, what, what is it that you're feeling angry about? Why are you feeling discouraged? Why do you want to shoot your dog? That's concerning. But what has God done for you? How much does he love you? And what has he empowered and enabled you to? Do you see the difference? And if we're not paying attention, by default, we're going to lead people into temptation. I'll give you an example. Better yet, let's let God do it. Remember Romans 14? We went through Romans four years ago. So I'm sure you all remember this. You do know this is easier for me having the cheating Bible here. And by the cheating Bible, I mean all the notes from the old sermons are mocked up in there. But if you go to Romans 14, verse 13, Therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide, isn't this beautiful, never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Do you remember that? It's talking about us having certain freedoms in Christ, but, but we don't want to abuse our freedoms to cause someone else to stumble. And the whole point Jesus is after here back in Luke 17 is his people are to be a people who are paying attention so that they are thinking about how to care for and love others unselfishly. How attentive are we to that? The other thing Jesus' people, they don't lead people into sin, but they also lead people out of sin. That's his other command. If your brother sins against you, verse 3, what do we do? Forgive. Forgive. Mia? Woo! Church? Woo! We awake now. Can I get an amen? amen? All right. Anyone need coffee? We don't have it downstairs. You got to run out and come back. We'll wait. When someone sins against you, what does this text tell us we need to do? It's talking about believers. What does it tell us we need to do? Rebuke them. No, no, first we got to rebuke them. So you ever try rebuking someone for everything wrong they did? I think I try this at home sometimes. You can ask Laura. Hopefully not as often as I, I, I well, anyway. 
If you pointed out everything wrong someone did all the time, yeah? Dylan, you got to sit up straighter. Roy, wake up. Dan, quit playing on your phone. If you just... Not, If you tried to go through life pointing out everything someone did wrong, how wonderful of a marriage would you have? How well would you get along with others in your church family? How much would your coworkers like you? How would your kids turn out? Get your finger out of your nose. Quit sucking on the doorknob, right, when they're two. Then when they're five, it's, you're still sucking on the doorknob. This is not talking about rebuking all sin. The Bible talks about love covering a multitude of sin, amen? But there are some sins that need to be addressed, repetitive, systematic, premeditated sin. And we have, as Christians, a joyful opportunity to point one, point one another away from sin and to Christ, to rebuke. Rebuke isn't about yelling at someone and, and condemning them. Rebuking is about loving them. Rebuking, in fact, is about Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Anyone have that as a memory verse somewhere in your head? Brothers, if any of you is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. In a spirit of gentleness, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know the log and the, and the speck? Here's what rebuking looks like. You come to the person who, who's drifting away or... or perpetually involved in this premeditated sin, and you look at them and go, I'm a way bigger sinner than that person. I know a lot more sin in my life than I know in that person's life, and that person is dearly loved by God. That is my brother or sister in Christ, and I love them enough to come to them graciously and not point out how horrible they are, but remind them of how much better Jesus is than what they're caught up in. Y'all tracking with me here? So Jesus is saying, just summarizing this, this quick command, basically his people are to be the antithesis of Pharisees. Pharisees put stumbling blocks. Pharisees never forgave sin. Pharisees were leading people astray. He's saying, you do the opposite. You need to be watching yourself, setting a good example, not causing anyone to stumble. And you need to be willing to forgive again and again and again and again and again and again and again, no matter what. So, y'all, it's pretty clear. Go in peace. Do it right. See you next time. Oh, wait, there's more. What do you do with that when he says this? Don't you dare lead someone into temptation. You'd be better off having a millstone tied around your neck and being chucked into the sea to drown. And if someone sins against you, rebuke them and forgive them again and again and again and again and again and again. It's Matthew 18 is what he's talking about. Anyone here feel like they can do that? Because if you put your hand up, you're crazy. I'll ask the question again. Any, any crazy people here? <laughs> Notice what the apostles say in verse 5. And these are the, the 12. Judas will, you know, he'll be pulled out. Matthias will come in. But these are, these are the 12. They say, Gotcha! We understand who you are. We hear what you're saying. We will march on counting and follow our orders. Is that what they say? Let me give you the contemporary translation. You got to be kidding us, man. How are we supposed to live these lives where we're not causing other people to be tempted and forgive people like these guys were coming to fisticuffs almost regularly? 
I'm getting to see the honor. The heck you are. I'm getting to see the honor. Well, let's go, Peter. Let's go. They, they put down the yarmulkes and the prayer shawls. And Jesus like, knock it off. Look at what they say to Jesus. We can't do that. And here's how you obey God, my friends. Listen to this. You start with, I hear what you're saying. But I don't see how I'm supposed to do what you're saying. Because as soon as you think you got it, now you're in trouble. You know, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Got it. Yeah, no, no. Here's what your answer should be. How am I supposed to do that? Lo love one another as I have loved you. By this they will know that you are my disciples. Je Jesus, seriously? Seriously? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. See, if you're not understanding, this is impossible you're missing the gospel so you don't have to do it is that what i'm saying no i'm saying you got to do it he's lord and savior but you can't do it now that you're confused now you can go in peace no now you can go in confusion so what do we do well praise god that he speaks to us through his word the lord said if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed you could say to this mulberry tree be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you Apostles here, being those who have been made righteous before God by grace through faith, they are saved. When you're saved, do you know what you receive? It starts with F, ends in H, and has an eight, A-I-T in the middle. Anyone want to take a guess? Faith. And what Jesus is saying to the apostles and, and to us today as his children is that what he calls us to, he equips us for. But it is he who equips us to do this by faith. And as we do this by faith, do you know what happens? God receives all the glory. And that's where we have at this end. Will any of you who has a servant plowing and keeping sheep say to him when he's come in from the field, come and eat, recline at the table? Or will he not rather say, prepare supper for me and dress appropriately, meaning clean off your feet and get that stank off you? And serve me while I eat and drink. Afterwards, you will eat and drink. Does he, think, does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. And here's what Jesus is saying. This is marvelous. Here's what my people will do. And you must do this. This is a command of God. But you will only be able to do it if you walk by faith. And you only have faith if you've been born anew. But if you have been born anew, you can do the impossible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can love you. I can forgive you. I can lead you not into temptation. I could deliver you from evil. No, not me who does it, but God at work in me. How does he do this? Through the toil I exert in the new life he's entrusted to me by the power he has placed within me. Are y'all hearing me here? This is so important. And when you do it, when you 
When you disciple someone and you see them maturing in Christ, when you proclaim the gospel and you see someone come to faith in Christ, when you forgive someone in a spirit of gentleness and see them reconciled to you and the Lord, when you receive that back and you ask for forgiveness, you need to check yourself because humility is the one thing that you lose as soon as you think you found it. And Jesus' point is, you can do this, but you will do this in my power for my glory and your joy. Are you all tracking with me? So when Jesus says, don't lead one another into temptation, he means it. And we need to pay attention to the example we set before one another, to the advice we give to one another, to how we pray for, live with, and engage with one another. He says, be attentive, pay attention to yourself. But we need to do that with a spirit of understanding. Yeah, God, I can't do that. You're right. But God can't. And that is why Paul, in in 2 Corinthians 12, take a look at this. It's an unfair race because I already know where I'm going. One of the the things that, it's fun kind of, when you you throw a Bible verse, you got some people that'll try to get there. You got some that they ain't going to try because they know I'm flipping too fast and I may even have page markers in here. Then you got the electronic people, which, which I honestly think is just cheating. You just got to push two buttons. You could find Haggai 1-7 like that, right? The rest of us, we're all up in the table of contents. Haggai, where's that? Anyway, back to where I was. 2 Corinthians 12-10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. Paul says, for when I am weak then I am strong. Do you, do you see what he's saying there? Do you understand what this means in context? As he recognizes his weakness, he sees his strength because what he sees is the strength of God at work in him. It's not that Paul goes into a catatonic state. I'm going to trust Jesus. Waiting for like God to move you. No. He's laboring. He's toiling. He's fighting. He's He's working mightily, but he's doing it in the strength of God. He's denying himself because God is causing him to deny himself. Flip over to Ephesians, and that'll be the last book we'll be in before we go back to Luke. Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Is that how you would define how you're living? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then three chapters earlier in Ephesians 3, verse 20. We could, we could, we could pull this thread all the way through Scripture. You know, you, you hear about, you know, you're David and you go slay your Goliath. Don't get crazy like that. You'll get stomped to death by Goliath. You know what David was doing? He was walking in the strength of the Lord for the glory of the Lord so that God alone would be glorified. See, this thread comes all the way through Scripture. But look at Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So here's what this is telling us. Here's what the Lord is after. 
The Lord's walking to Jerusalem with his disciples, and he's got crowds following him. He's got the Pharisees. He's talking to the Pharisees. Remember 16, 14 from last week? He's talking to the disciples this week, and he's going back and forth. They're both hearing what he's saying, and he's, he's saying to his people, listen, listen to me, folks. My people do not cause others to stumble, but they lead them to me. My people lead people not into sin, but they lead people out of sin. And they do it by rebuking and forgiving and loving. And my people will recognize they cannot do this on their own, but they can do this through new birth in Christ. So as we read scripture, understand for you who are saved, Jesus means what he says. You need to do what he says. He is God. But realize also, in the flesh, you are incapable of doing what he says. You know, it's lost people cannot obey God, period. Even on those rare instances where they might do the right thing, they're doing the right thing for the wrong reason, and that's a flat-out F in God's eyes. But those of us who are saved, we'll, we'll back it down the other way here. Listen to this. Everything God calls you to, you are incapable of apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in you. But as those who are saved, we are made fully capable to obey God in all that he calls us to because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So don't limit yourself by what you think you can do. Trust Christ that he will do what he says he will do. So when he says, love one another, don't check your your, your feelings on, do I think I got it in me to love him? Trust God that you have it in you to love him. You have faith the size of a mustard seed. You have enough faith to love somebody. So then take the active step of duty. And as the the, the writers of old Puritan books in the past would say that duty leads to delight. And what they mean by that is you see the Lord's power at work in you as you do what you could not do in your flesh. Y'all tracking with me? But how easily do we fall into the trap of, he don't really mean it. Just, just kind of do your best to love people. And, and, and that's all. We're saved by grace through faith. It doesn't matter if, listen, if you went to a youth group camp and, and you, you, know, you got your block of wood that said you were saved, you're good. Doesn't matter what you do. If you were seven years old and you prayed to accept Christ, you're in tight. You're good careful because that would be a work of our own you chose Jesus we're careful because what happens when you unchoose Jesus you know what a Christian is it's someone who Jesus is Jesus chooses and you know you're safe because you see the desires within you change You start to realize little by little, albeit imperfectly, albeit with a whole lot of flesh mixed in there, that our ability per this text to lead one another towards Christ and to lead one another out of sin is a joyful opportunity, responsibility, and privilege. It is an invitation to joy in Christ. It is how God is glorified. It is, it's actually an incredible gift. Your greatest delight should be knowing, trusting, 
serving and enjoying God. And here's how you can tell if you're saved. Is there a little tiny speck inside of you that has any interest in knowing the Lord in truth? You got to be honest with yourself here. Is there even a little tiny speck inside of you that desires to see God glorified? Is there a little tiny speck inside of you that sees God as the wisest, most powerful, most beautiful, precious gift you could ever receive? Because if there's that little tiny speck inside of you, you have enough faith to say to the mulberry tree, into the sea and plant yourself in the middle. It's a sign of new life in Christ. And then as we exercise that faith, we grow in maturity, and little by little, Christ becomes more precious, more spectacular, and more wonderful. So, how do you do this? I give you three things. Remember who you were. Do you remember who you were apart from God saving you? Now, maybe you were a nice person, but God doesn't grade in comparison to other people. God's standard is you must be perfect as I am perfect. No one is righteous, no, not one. But if you're saved, who are you now? How does God see you? You are a miserable disappointment. You keep letting me down. I gave you the faith and you mess it up. You ain't done nothing right in ages. I wish I never chose you. Is that how God sees his children? Can we be honest? Sometimes doesn't that ha- isn't that how God's children think God sees us? God calls us the apple of his eye. God calls us his dearly beloved. God calls us friends. God calls us co-regents. God has adopted us. We have peace with God. God sees us clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You have the full approval, acceptance, and intimacy of God if you have been born anew. And in that freedom, as you remember who you were and who you are, do you know what we get to do? Trust Trust that Jesus is who he says he is, and we are who he says we are in him. And do you know what makes this so hard? We're fighting for a family resemblance. You know, it's um, sometimes I look in the mirror in the morning, and it's disturbing because I kind of see my dad looking back at me. You know, like, oh my gosh, we got like, our faces look similar. Except he's old. Like, I, I'm looking like an old man. So I'm sure my dad gets up and he's like, I kind of look like Jonathan a little bit. Wow! If you spend time with my dad, you would see that he and I have some of the same quirkiness and similarities. I spent a lot of years with him growing up. A lot rubs off when you, you hang around, not only genetically, but, but relationally. Some respects, we got the same horrible, dry sense of humor where you don't know if it's a joke or if it's not meant to be a joke, so you don't know how to respond. Yeah, we, we like to talk about similar things. We, we can get a little intense. You know, we're, we're not real casual people. But when I come to faith in Christ, I, I, I'm made part of a new family. And the fight is to see that new family, family resemblance develop. So that... I act a little bit more like Christ himself. 
I love people. I adore God. I desire to do the will of God, not my will. And here's why it's so hard. Probably one of the greatest ways we tempt one another is before one another, we pursue our kingdom for our glory rather than God's kingdom for his glory. But you get, I mean, one day we'll get back to Sunday school and we'll have the, the regular run we used to have on a Sunday of worship upstairs, fellowship, Sunday school. But I mean, we're, we're knocking an hour and a half with each other each week, assuming you're here each week. That means you have six days and 22 and a half hours to, to be pulled back to the fleshly resemblance of the world. You know, you turn on the news, and tell me when you turn on the news, do you fear a, feel a spirit of gentleness overtake you and a love for the lost people consume you? Or do you feel that anger and rage and pride and those idiots? If you got a social media account, you know, I'm just saying, if you follow down, are you following people who are telling you what you want to hear and feeding into the flesh? Or are you being conformed to the image of Christ as you're reminded of the truth of the gospel? When you go to work, when you wake up in the morning, when you work your way through life, it's really tricky. And that's why Paul calls us in Romans 12 after 11 beautiful chapters laying the gospel in front of us in all its resplendent glory. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good, acceptable, perfect. Here's the thing, my friends. We need one another to be reminded of who we are in Christ and who Christ is. The world needs us in the sense of, it's a pretty bad news world out there, but we have a good news God. It's a world of competing truths. And here's what Jesus would say to competing truths. If you have your truth and I have my truth, what happens when my truth calls your truth a lie? Is your truth still true? You got to think about it for a minute. If you have your truth, and I have my truth, so I can't be wrong and you can't be wrong. Well, what happens when my truth says that you're wrong? Is it wrong? Yeah, the world tells us that it, it hates intolerance. Our culture, I should say, hates intolerance. It's a shame because they seem rather intolerant of intolerance, do they not? See, we live in a, we live in a world of <clears throat> irrational worldviews. And we all marinate in them constantly. But Jesus steps into the world being born of a woman in the flesh, fully God, truly God, truly man. We could say fully, but someone's going to want to, anyway. Truly God, truly man. 100% God, 100% man. 100 plus 100 equals 100, scripture. He lives amongst us. He brings truth and light into darkness, and he calls people unto himself. But yet we keep pursuing these things on the periphery. And we need to be reminded of truth. So God works mightily to develop a family resemblance inside of us. And so we'll sum it up this way. Love because you were first loved. Forgive because God has forgiven you. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come. But woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea, than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. 
Pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. And so in this text and in all other texts, as children of God, understand that Jesus means what he says when he commands his people to do something. Understand, though, how you do it. And then as you do, see God's glory and your joy set before you. You can do it because he has made you new to do it and strengthened you for that work. You have all the faith you need. Just trust in him. Now we're going to pivot into a song here, so I'm going to invite Jay to come up and get ready to introduce it to us after I pray. But our ability to, to trust God rests in how well we are in our soul. So we, we think about spiritually, how, we think about physically how we're doing, right? Isn't that one of the first things you, you check out in the morning? Get out of bed and it's like, how's the back? How the hips? Legs all right? <gasps> Breathing still working? I can't see, oh wait, my glasses, I can see again. Right, you kind of check how you're doing physically in the morning. I hope as we leave here today that we're reminded for those of us who are in Christ, it is well with our soul. And it is well with our soul because God has saved us. I pray for those who might be with us or listening in, who are apart from Christ, that they would feel the discomfort that it is not well, that you are at enmity with God, that you are you are actually fighting with God. You are, you are wrestling with him for his seat. And the grace he has shown in not crushing you is far more than you can ever realize. But Jesus did not come to crush you. In fact, it says in, in John 3 that he did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And he offers forgiveness and salvation to anyone who will turn to him and cry out for help who will say, I cannot meet your standard of perfection. What, what, I can't do it. Help. And he will. And he will make you new. And you will know that newness because inside of you will reside a, a tiny little desire at first, probably, to know God, to love God, and to serve God. And as you walk with him, that desire grows. My hope is that we will all enjoy new life in Christ and be reminded of the fact that in Christ, as we will sing in a moment, as JJ will introduce it to us, it is well with our soul. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a God who speaks. Lord, thank you that your word is powerful. 
it is a marvelous truth that you promise us that we are sanctified by your word. And that's not simply an intellectual exercise. Lord, as we are, as we are bathed by your word day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, just as a little child grows, so too we mature spiritually, even imperceptibly at first. But Lord, we just rejoice that your word is powerful, that your word is effective, that your word is active, that it is living. And we pray, Lord, that your word would be at work mightily in our hearts and that your word would be a delight to us to not just hear and meditate upon, but to proclaim. I pray, Holy Spirit, that what you desire for us to see today, we would see mightily and hold tightly to. And whatever left this preacher's mouth that wasn't from you would be quickly forgotten. Lord Jesus, help us to see the delight had in serving you because our ability to serve you is just another reminder of how you served us and saved us and loved us and made us anew. Yet help us to also remember, Lord, that while a believer is not less than a servant of Christ, a believer is far more than just a servant of Christ. For we are sons of God. We are friends of yours, Jesus, because you call us so. We will be co-regents with you. Lord, help us to love you as you call us to, as we remember how you loved us. Help us to love one another as you call us to, and you strengthened us to. And help us to not see what we can do by the limitations of the flesh or our perception, but to trust that we can do all that you call us to, because you are exactly who we say we are in you. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Jay, you want to introduce the uh, hymn, and then we will sing this together. <laughs>